Today's guest is Chris Quito. At the age of 24, Chris went into anaphylactic shock from a food allergy, and it led him into a life-changing near-death experience. He will be discussing the events leading up to the NDE, the near-death experience itself, and its after-effects upon him, and how he has been integrating the experience into his life both personally and professionally. Chris will also discuss the opportunities and challenges this life-altering event and how it affects individuals entering adulthood. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you giving me some of your time today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be uh, on the show with you. All right. My guests love hearing about NDEs, and you had one at 24, so you went into anaphylactic shock. Are you allergic to nuts or something, or what happened? Uh, I am. Like millions of other uh, uh, people in the world, I have a very severe allergy to peanuts and tree nuts, which Mm -hmm. I had since I was very, very young, which I was fully always aware of. Mm -hmm. You said peanuts and tree nuts? Yes. So- there's peanuts that are in the ground and there's tree nuts like walnuts or cashews. So there's multiple, there's two families of nuts oh. and someone could have an allergy to peanuts, but they could eat almonds or walnuts and have no issue or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So in the allergy community, you, it's always broken up as a peanut and or tree nut allergy. Oh, wow. So basically, you can't eat any nuts, right? No, I can't eat anything. (laughs) I'm allergic to everything and then some other foods I have some sensitivities to. Right. Um, But but primarily my anaphylactic reaction, which in Mm. the allergy community is the most significant, the most severe Mm. and life-threatening, it's to peanuts and tree nuts. Okay. So what had happened? Did you just happen to eat something that you didn't know there were nuts inside of it? Uh, yeah, pretty much. So, you know, I'll, I'll go into the story of how this happened. Um, so, you know, when I when I go into my NDE story, you know, this is something I never spoke about. It happened about eight and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And I attempted to speak about it within a year or two after the incident. And I really was not able to come up with the language. And even now, speaking with you, and if you've, you've, you've interviewed other NDEers, it's very difficult to retell as accurate as possible due to not having the language to describe the situation, the after effects, the being in the moment, the actual near-death experience. The language is very limiting. Um, so I'm going to do my best to you know, describe in detail you know, pivotal moments in my NDE experience you know, the after effects, dealing with it and going through all of that. And um, if I pause at all during that, I'm really just trying to really boil down the best way to describe it to you and your audience. Right. So if there are some pauses, it's part of trying to put in. And, and even eight and a half years later, uh, only six months ago, I really started speaking about this publicly, mm. where many of my closest friends and families never knew the full story. So mm. it's still very, very new. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, you know, there, there will be pauses and uh, I'm still integrating and working through a lot of this situ- this experience as well. So I, I was born and raised in Long Island, New York, mm-hmm. and I went to school in Connecticut. And after school, I decided I wanted to head west, only always living and being on the East Coast and finishing up school there. I went to Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. I was in L.A. for about six months, and I was at a friend's birthday party on a Sunday evening. 
Now, many people know in LA that, you know, the traffic is pretty awful and it is. And, you know, the reason it was a Sunday night will, will come into effect later on in the story. So we're at a birthday party and nothing out of the ordinary, probably 35, 40 people there were at a small boutique hotel and it was a gathering. Everyone was around. I wasn't drinking at all. I was just there meeting people, talking in the moment of being around everybody. And they start to cut up cake. And, um, you know, I bring up the reason of not drinking that I was fully aware. And anyone that has allergies knows that anytime you're ever around food or peanuts or nuts or whatever they may be, there's always a potential risk. In this moment, looking back eight years later, eight and a half years later, you kind of always, you know, I've spent countless days, years and time thinking about what was I thinking? Everyone asked, what were you thinking during this? Every meal you're thinking or you're not, you're in the moment, you're with friends, you're having a good time. It's a birthday party. The last thing you're thinking is, oh my God, what is in this food? Can I have it? Is it safe? I grew up with a peanut allergy and I never had any severe reactions my entire life up to 24 years old. There was maybe once or twice something happened when I was very young that we knew I had an allergy, but it was not an anaphylactic reallergy. It was some hives, maybe some itching in my mouth, some sneezing, and some Benadryl knocked it out. I always had EpiPens on me. Nine out of 10 times, the EpiPens were expired. I just, I didn't really care. I had a very cavalier attitude towards it because I just simply as anyone would say with allergies, you avoid the allergen. Sometimes that's not always possible, but I avoided it. And I went through all of pretty much my entire life up to 24 years old without having any situation, significant situations. So at the birthday party, they start cutting up the cake and they pass pieces around. It looked like a regular, normal chocolate cake. And I was even in, you know, everyone's talking. You're in that mix. You're in that normal moment. You're not worried. You're not concerned with what you're what you're eating or what you're doing to the sense of you know me looking at it and analyzing it and double checking because you're at a birthday party you're here you're there you're you're mixing it up and I remember taking the first bite of that cake and you just kind of like a little bit just a little bit on the fork and I put it in my mouth and I, I realized I said what what is that now you have to remember I've never eaten nuts or peanuts I don't know what they really taste like wow I have an idea of the smell you know when you walk in the grocery you can smell it or you kind of have a sense but I really truly have never eaten or know the taste and I remember just something in my mouth and I, I remember that initial oh my gosh what what happened did I just eat a peanut is there nuts in this and then I look at the cake and I realize there's nuts in the cake there's oh. peanuts in the cake it was a peanut butter cake wow and uh, still to this day I've never seen a peanut butter cake anywhere uh, but there happened to be one at this party so I I in the split second of that moment, I end up swallowing and I end up swallowing that piece before I even really, my brain can register that I ingested a peanut. Again, I don't know what a peanut tastes like. I'm going off of what I assume it is. If I, I, it's just, I, I kind of, you know, there was some intuition that, okay, this was something bad. I think it was. And then after I, you know, I, I immediately did that, I, I swallowed that small, small amount I then looked in the cake and realized that there were nuts in there. That was not something I've seen prior. 
I, I, I initially didn't have a reaction. My throat uh, was a little itchy. My mouth was. I remember I went and got some Sprite from the bartender. So something I'm like, oh, the carbon, it's the you know, soda will uh, will solve that. That was it. And I said, you know what? I'm okay. I'm at the party. I don't want to freak anyone out. I'm just going to see, you know, I'm all right. No, no big deal. It was a very small amount. I'll go home. It's a Sunday night. I'll sleep it off. I'll take a couple Benadryl. We'll be all set to go. And uh, onward and upward, we won't say anything. So I end up going home. Uh, you know, this was at maybe nine o'clock or so. I had the peanut. I ingested the peanut. I got home, getting ready for bed. I take a couple Benadryl. I'm all right. I'm still, you know, at this point, you know, I, I feel something could be wrong. It was more like, all right, let's just see how this goes. I'll be asleep. I'm going to take a couple Benadryl. We're going to knock this out. And I remember laying in bed and just, you know, noticing that I wasn't able to get to sleep. And I was, I was a little itchy. I was a little, you know, my throat was a little heavy. My chest was heavy. You know, I, I was a little more, a little more upbeat, a little more energized, like it, blood was pumping a bit more. So something was definitely a little bit off. Even after I've taken like three Benadryl, I should be kind of out, but I'm not. And I'm like, you know, I'm laying here. I'm like, okay, well, maybe this isn't working. Let me go take a look in the mirror and see what's going on. So I remember I got up and I wasn't, at this point, there was no panic. There was no concern, really. It was just kind of like, all right, we'll see what happens. And then I remember I walked into the bathroom and I flicked the light on. I remember the light coming on me like, oh, it's bright. And I looked in the mirror and I had hives on my neck, was red, my face, my on my arms under my arms my chest i was really my body was reacting i was i was breaking out in a rash really all, all over my body and then i was like okay am i getting nervous because then i'm starting to think more so this is you know the theme from this moment on was this i i'm, I'm between being rational of what's happening what do i do in this situation i've never been in this situation before and is it going to be okay or what do I need to do? Because I, I don't know what's going to happen. I've never had a severe allergic reaction. I don't know the steps. I don't know what can happen. I don't know what will happen. Will the Benadryl work? Will it not? And I'm always in this limbo of trying to make the best decision and, and ultimately like what will save my life and what wouldn't was what this was coming down to. But I did not know that at that time. It was still just, all right, I'm, discom- I, I'm in discomfort now. And that discomfort within about a half hour went to, went to be very severe. And I ended up going back, laying down. And I remember vividly laying in bed saying, all right, let me just see how my breathing is. Because that's what could happen. My throat could close. I heard that. That's what it is. You know, the throat closes. We have the epinephrine. So then I start digging for the EpiPen. And I pull it out of the cabinet. And, of course, it was expired by a couple months like it's always been for the last 10 years. I've never used it. So I have the EpiPen. I'm like, okay, I got this. Breathing is getting more difficult now. Okay, this is getting more difficult. In the the last 10 minutes, it's gotten much more difficult. I'm still able to breathe, but I'm doing the, and I'm kind of chesting, I'm testing. I'm like, can I still breathe deep? Is it okay? Is this going to blow over? Is it just going to be bad for a minute? Do I need to take more Benadryl? What do I do? And this is when your mind starts racing. And I I feel many people can relate to that moment where you say, okay, this is not going to resolve itself. I'm going to have to make some decisions. What are those decisions at this point? I'm having an allergic reaction. It's a Sunday night. Do I call 911? 
Do I go to the hospital myself? Do I use the expired EpiPen? Do I then have to go to the hospital? What happens after I use the EpiPen? Am I able to physically move? Can I then call 911? Does 911 carry epinephrine, the ambulance? How quickly will they get here? Can I handle this better myself? These are all scenarios I'm running through my head at this point, laying in bed or sitting up in bed, focusing on breathing. And I thought to myself, and I don't know how I necessarily came to this. I said, you know, it's a Sunday night. In my head, I thought, I don't know if the ambulance will get here. I don't know what it is. I don't want to make a big scene. I don't know what's happening. I'm going to drive myself to the hospital. It's maybe only 15 minutes away, given it's a late Sunday night, 11, 30, 12 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So there's no one on the road. I, I Calendar wise of having an NDE, it saved my life. This was a Sunday night, mm-hmm. hands down. So I end up getting in my car and I grab the EpiPen with me. I say, you know what? I'm going to bring this just in case. I'm going to have it with me. I grab my wallet, my phone, the EpiPen. I'm out the door. I'm driving. I remember driving. I threw my hazards on. I was flying down the road, not speeding, but I was. I, I in my head, I was. I was moving quicker, and I was running through scenarios, focusing on breathing. And at this point, it, it got more severe. It went from okay, I'm concerned to now I'm I'm full on panic. Oh my gosh, I'm counting minutes. I'm counting breaths. How much longer? The situation's deteriorating rapidly. Minute by minute. I mean, every minute felt like an hour at this point. And I'm just focused on getting to Cedar sinai Hospital. So I, I end up getting to the hospital barely in time. I, I remember getting out and the valet was there. And I, I, I assume I handed him the keys and I had my wallet with me. And that was it. I just had my wallet. And the EpiPen stayed on the car seat. And I go into the emergency room. And I walk up to the intake desk and the nurse looks at me and she goes, do you have any identification? I have my wallet. And I, I, I open my wallet to pull out my driver's license. And I could not physically pull the license out of the little slot in your wallet. Mm. I couldn't do it. I, and I fell into the, the counter. And I just remember, I remember these vivid moments. And I remember her getting up and another nurse running around and then grabbing me. I'm about 6'2", 180. And they picked me up and they carried me. I mean, I was still walking a little bit, but they pretty much dragged slash carried me right into the emergency room. And I just remember going right on a bed and I had a swarm of people on me. I had a doctor, I had about six people and they just cut my shirt And they started with the oxygen and I said I had an allergic reaction. And I just remember laying there and them just going to work on me. And I was still aware at this point. And I I was really, what I later found out a lot speaking with the medical staff and what was happening, I was I was slowly suffocating this entire time more and more. My oxygen levels were dropping to nothing. I was not able to take in any air. My throat was closing more and more each time, each minute that went by, each second, actually, each breath. And because there were times where I, I first went in, I was verbal. Then within a few minutes, I was unverbal. And I had Benadryl going in my wrist. I had epinephrine coming in through my neck and shoulder. I was on oxygen. 
they were doing everything they can. And I, I was laying there and I, I, you know, it's so interesting because I had at this point, the concept of time went out the door and I had all these different emotions. And I vividly remember laying there and, and thinking to myself, why is everyone so panicked working around me? Why are they frantic? What, what are they all doing? Why, how are there six people around me? What could they all be doing? They're checking this. They're moving that. They're moving my eyes like this. They're trying to look in my mouth. They're holding my tongue down. And I remember the doctor looking at me and he goes, I, he goes, you know, at this point, the epinephrine was not working. So that's another Medical point I later found out is even though with EpiPens, which is the which is the auto injector of epinephrine, which is the medicine that stops the anaphylactic reaction, they don't always work. That's why they always come in packs of two many times, or you may need a second dose. Uh, or in many times, if you do not take the dose quick enough, it cannot reverse the reaction. That's really the main reason of why it doesn't work. So I, at this point later, found out I I was on the cusp, and in many times many ways, I was too far gone that they could not reverse the anaphylaxis in that situation. Hmm. And I remember the doctor looking at me and saying, you know, we could try, you know, we're going to put a tube down your throat to get you to breathe because you're not pulling in any oxygen. You're, you're suffocating at this point. Your functioning is going down. And I, I, you know, during all this, I was in a very blissful, euphoric, phase, feeling, zone, whatever you want to call it. Again, it goes back to the language we don't always have. Mm-hmm. I was at peace. I was totally cool. I was just there. I was present and I felt nothing. Now, at that point, do you feel like you were still in your body at peace or were you outside looking at your body and the doctors? I did not have an outer body experience in the sense of being out of my body and looking down and watching. I was physical language wise. I was, I was on my way out. And I remember a key moment where the doctor looked at me and said, I'm so sorry. I can't save your life. And my response was, in my head. Okay. I just, I really no response. I didn't have any response. I, I, I remember vividly thinking to myself and at that moment and right around that moment, maybe slightly before, right in that phase of I'm dying and that feeling of, Oh, I'm dying. This is it. Like I, I, that was a clear as day moment of saying, Oh, this is it. I'm, I'm dying. I had this acknowledgement that I was on my way out. And it was the most euphoric. That's the only word I can come up with blissful Hmm. uh, feeling state of being in that moment. And that period of time. And I, it's, it's, it's interesting because I, there's nothing in this world I say that can replicate that feeling of acknowledging, you have the acknowledgement that, okay, I, I'm dying, this is it. And then that feeling of 
passing, crossing over, we'll say, mm-hmm. and knowing that's it. And, and when that happened, I, everything around me, there was no pain. There was no, everything was gone. And I remember these emotions washing over me like a wave, like you're in the waves in the ocean. And it was, mm-hmm. I remember thinking like nothing material mattered. Yes, I'm laying here suffocating to death alone on a hospital bed on a Sunday night. No one knows I'm here. No family, no friends. I'm, I'm dying alone. That's one major fear people have in death. The other one of the painful death of I'm now suffocating to death and aware that I'm suffocating. I can't breathe. No oxygen's going in. I'm trying. It's just not getting in. It's just stuck. And while all that's going on, the dying alone, the suffocating to death, blissful state, mm-hmm. euphoric state, acceptance. I was going to say that. Peace. And that's, and then I always grew up, you know, fortunately I grew up in a very conscious family, open-minded family. And um, my my parents always went to psychics and mediums and that was something we grew up with. And it was, you know, it was what we did. It, it, that was normal in our world. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I had my two grandfathers come to me mm-hmm. after I had that wave of emotion of material things don't matter. Really only love matters. That's, you know, that, that was really the two messages that came through. Boom, boom. That was, that was through me. I, I, I was thinking that when I was going out and that was just washing over me. And I was fully accepting death at that point. I knew I was out. I was gone. I was out of this world. Consciously, I was on my way. And my grandfathers came who were, who were you know, one of them passed away a few decades before I was born. Another one passed away when I was about two or three years old. So one, I had no relationship with one. I really, I was two years old when he passed. So I, there was really nothing there as well. Mm-hmm. I knew it was them. I could feel it was them. They were there. And they very clearly, again, like this wave washing over. And, I, and it was, you, you can't die. You can't do it. You have work to do. You got relationships you got to work on. You got to fix. You can't. You got to go back. And at that moment, when that happened, something switched where I said, you know, I don't, I don't want to die. Because up until that, I was like, I'm just out. Um, I, I don't I can't fight this. I just didn't. Not that I ever wanted to die. I was very happy. I love life. I just, that, the, the, the moment carried me. I don't have words or to explain the acceptance. And then it turned into that encounter with my grandfathers to, I remember at that moment, it's switching. Once they said, you can't die, you have work to do. In my head, I was like, okay, you're right. You know, I, you know, I don't want to die. It shifted. It was, it was, I just switched, switched back. And I remember saying, I don't want to die. I got to come back. And in that moment, when that happened, I snapped back into my body. The euphoric feeling, 
the peace, the bliss. I went right back in and I went into excruciating pain and I started gasping for air. Wow. I was back. And I remember moving and they, the nurses and doctors were like, oh, he's moving, he's doing this. And I just was clawing at the mask on my ass. I said, I need oxygen. I'm back. I don't want to die. I started responding. I started fighting, scraping, grinding for oxygen. And anyone that's ever been in a position where you can't breathe, there's a special instinct that kicks in when you're trying to breathe and soak in. And, and, and I'm back and I feel it. And I just, it just, eight and a half years later, that's that infinite little second of when I snapped in, I still remember as if it was 20 minutes ago. Hmm. And I just, was clawing and clawing and I wanted the air. And then they, I was, I was calming down and I, I, I was pulling myself back together. I was responsive. I was able to move. I mean, I had so much epinephrine run through me. They were kind of holding, they were holding my legs down because I was shaking so much. Mm-hmm. Everything was kicking in. And I came back and in, in all this moment, I don't, I'm not, I'm not understanding really what's happening. I'm not understanding. I just spoke with my grandfathers. I'm not understanding, you know, five minutes ago, whatever the concept of time was, I'll later find out later what the time was. I was actually in there and what was happening. I was just focusing on breathing and, you know, surviving to the next breath. That that's all it was. There was nothing else. There was, there was a, a it was just a pure survival instinct and fighting. And I, 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 within the next hour, I leveled off. I later found out it was about an hour. I was in the hospital for about eight hours, actually. Mm. Didn't have any idea. Eight hours I spent there. I thought I was there for a half hour. I had no idea. I remember laying there and asking the nurse, I said, how long have I been here? 40 minutes? She said, you've been here for eight hours. Wow. So for a half hour, we thought you were dead. When you said that you saw your grandfathers, did you see them or did you just sense them? And if you saw them, did you see them like as young men, older men, what you remembered from pictures? It was, it was a sense. And through that sense, it was what I remembered them and felt them. I felt them before I saw them, but I knew it was them. If that, again, it go, this, this is the, the, uh, one of the top ones where it's hard with the language mm-hmm. with the, the consciousness and in that moment, the, the feeling and understanding and communicating is more than just seeing. It was more real than anything. Right. Which is hard because we don't communicate in this physical world like that. So to describe it, it's very hard when you've never had an experience where it just hits you. And, mm-hmm. you know, people that have had that experience, they understand where it's like, no, it was there. Like it was clear. It was a wave. I understood there was full knowing it was this person. This is what it was. It's never been so clear, but we don't communicate in this world like this, or we don't have experiences that really give us the experience of that to really articulate and give language to it. So as close as I can articulate what happened, Mm -hmm. they were there. Yeah. Did they eat? It wasn't as if I was sitting in a room with them, but it was they, that energy, that feeling, and that communication was there going through me. Most likely they spoke to you telepathically, but obviously it had to be telepathically. But did you feel like a distinctive sound to their voice? Like one grandfather had this, maybe a 
base timber. One of them had a medium timber. Did you recall well, that at I, all? I remember, I remember when I was calming down and I was coming back and, 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 and still in, in this panic mode, I, I would call it, or coming in, I remember one of my grandpas saying, take it easy, hmm. which is something he would say. So they carry the same personality <laughs> over. Um, so there's that. I mean, there's there's always there's always humor everywhere. Yeah. You know, even when you're dying, I guess. Yeah. Um, so that was a heartfelt moment. Um, and that that was that was the uh, that was that that was. The, the main experience within the NDE, the main spiritual mm-hmm. of the actual NDE. And I always say the NDE is, you know, 5% and 95% is what happens in the lifetime after. Did you ever speak to the medical staff afterwards? And and if you did, did you ever have any conversation like, well, yeah, you were, you flatlined for a few minutes or anything like that? I, I, I did not flatline, but I asked them when I left and I, you know, I, I found out the time I was there about eight hours. I, I remember only thinking I was there for around 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. I asked them how bad was I really? Cause I just remember stumbling in. Mm-hmm. That was it. And they said on a scale of one to 10, I was a nine and they didn't think I was going to survive. And the woman said, she goes, you're unrecognizable from how you looked when you came in. Absolutely unrecognizable. She's like, I, I, shocked you're getting up and you know they you know this is now four o'clock five o'clock in the morning six o'clock i right seven eight hours later and um they kind of looked around they said do you want to go home <laughs> i said all right I'll, I'll go home so they you know gave me a piece of paper they gave me this i walked out and i said thank you mm-hmm. and I, I again i had no idea what really went on i was just like oh my god this was insane mm-hmm. uh my body is in unbelievable pain. Mm-hmm. I want to get home. I got this thing on my wrist. I got the little socks with the rubber on the bottom. I got a little piece of paper they gave me. And they said, just take this when you walk out. And um, they're like, feel better. You know, there's nothing else we can do. Yeah. And, um, you know, I always joke, I, I really knew I was back to this world when I got out and I, I got my car and I had to pay for parking. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <No mistake. laughs> what a way to bring you back to reality yeah of course so uh, I was back and then you know for several days afterwards I was just in unbelievable pain all over I remember just laying in bed the next day just everything hurt everything hurt breathing hurt any movement hurt my body was wrecked um, mm. and that went on for about three four days then, you know, that, that, then that was, that was the near death experience moment. And then you walk into the after effect, the re the integration, the understanding what happened up. I mean, I had no idea up until really about two months after the near death experience, what a near death experience was. That was not a vocabulary. I had no idea what that was. I didn't know what it is. Nothing. I was just like, Oh my God, this crazy event happened. I got really hurt from peanut that was that was the language that was what what happened there was no spirituality no emotion no you know then you start piecing it all together then that's the entire other you know the 95 percent is okay what happened what's going on 
where are we going with this? And that was a process in itself. But that that was the that was the mechanism and the, the near death specific experience took place and ended, you know, really that morning when I woke up. Because then once that physical pain was gone, then you deal with the emotional, mental, spiritual, cultural, you know, all of that, which is the which is you know, what we discussed. Right. I would say that over the next few days, did you start processing it or did you process it immediately when you went home? Yeah, that's a very good question. At at this time, I had no idea what a near-death experience was or that language. I I wouldn't actually find that language or that, or even know what that was until several months after. So after the physical pain subsided and I got out of bed and I was moving around you know, there were some things I remember my vision was resetting. I remember I was just kind of like moving around slowly. Like I was kind of like, you know, figuring everything out. And, uh, you know, what was really beneficial was this happened when I was 24. Since I was 14, I kept a journal. So I was journaling all the time during my near death experience. And initially, it, you know, I go back and look at it. There was no language of NDE. It was you know, I ate a peanut and I had a really bad anaphylactic reaction for the next six months or so I would wake up every day and I would have no idea who I was not in a sense of amnesia, but in a sense of understanding what I believed, what I valued, what I understood, who I was, my reaction to things, what I thought I wanted, what I didn't want. It was that I under, I remembered everything. I, you know, I, I I walked out pretty much unscathed. Within a few days, I was fine. I was back in a gym a week later, physically. Mm-hmm. Over the course of the next few weeks and months and even years, there was an unraveling and a rebuilding of a mental, emotional, spiritual being. Myself, I. Again, for six months, I woke up. I had no idea really who I was. I mean, things would happen. There would be situations, and I wouldn't know how I'd react. Or I, I was, I was different. And a few months later, after the NDE, I somehow—I don't know—just a chance or a, a, a very fortunate—I stumbled across information on near-death experience, and I did the little online test, and I had like twenty-six out of the twenty-seven mm. traits of a near-death experience. I said, "Oh, okay." Mm-hmm. And um, I then contacted the group, which was IANS, and I said, hey, I'm over here in Los Angeles. I think I had a near death. Is there anyone I can, near death experience? Is there anyone I can speak with? And they said, yeah, yeah, we have this woman up in Santa Barbara you can talk with. Mm-hmm. So I said, all right, great. Like, give me your number. I, I don't know who I can bring this up with. I mean, mm-hmm. again, I'm in a new city. I don't have any friends or family around. I've only been here for four months. It's just me. I'm here. Right. Were you afraid to tell anybody? I, I, no, I wasn't really, I wasn't afraid. I didn't know what to tell anybody. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what happened. Mm-hmm. I, I was very vague. And even up until this point, I still am pretty vague unless someone just looks up and sees me speaking um, about what really happened. And, you know, I'll go into that a little bit later. But I, 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 I didn't know because I didn't know how to describe anything. I just said, hey, I had a reaction to a food allergy. That was it. And the conversation stopped at that with everybody. If they even knew, if it even came up with the, it even happened with friends. And I, I remember it really didn't. 
I didn't have a lot to talk about. I just didn't. I also, there was no need to discuss it. Mm-hmm. Now, in the coming weeks and months after, I'm a hot mess putting this all together of realizing what happened. And then more's coming back. I'm starting to remember, oh, this happened with the grandparents. Oh, this happened in the bed. Oh my God, this is really what happened. I almost died. I was there. I, 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 I Consciously, I passed over. Then you start to realize once the shock wears off of what happened, oh my gosh, this was, this was really intense. I'm putting it all together. And then you start processing. And that's been, that takes you know, that, that's an on, that's to this very moment, an ongoing process for me. And I just, you know, in the big picture of looking at the integration, I, I went on with life. I spoke with that woman and she said, Oh, honey, you had an end near death experience. So, okay. Um, then what? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's kind of the question. Right. Then what? Yeah. You got to get back on with life. You know, I'm 24 at the time. I, was starting a career out in real estate in, in Los Angeles and you're growing into adulthood. And then on top of it, you just have a, now, you know, a near death experience. So I start gobbling up information and trying to make peace of this. And then you say, well, okay, where do I go from here? What matters to me? What doesn't, do I want to talk about it? Mm-hmm. I never talked about this NDE and most people still don't know about it that I had one. And it's eight and a half years later. I did not discuss this. There was a moment where I, I attempted to, and I couldn't. I didn't have the language, and there was something I didn't speak about. If someone, there were moments in the past few years where people have asked, they knew I had a really bad allergy and said, Hey, do you want to talk about it? I said, No, I, I, I just don't. Like it stopped there. Like it did not talk about it. People asked, it was no, mm-hmm. period. And it was, that was it. Um, and it wasn't a situation where I felt like I couldn't discuss it because of society or culture or my, my, my friends and family. I couldn't discuss it. So when I hear someone says, hey, they didn't talk about something for 30, 40 years, 50 years, I get it. Uh, this is still challenging right now for me to discuss this. Mm-hmm. Because I'm still in it. I still am integrating it. I'm still feeling the trauma. I still know what that feeling comes back. And it's something any, anyone that's had a near-death experience deals with all the time. You know, it never leaves. I mean, there's there's really a day that goes by where I don't think about it. It doesn't come up. And you have to find ways to deal with it. And over the course of the last few years, I've done everything from sound baths, meditation, sweat lodges, any and all holistic work and and spiritual development to to really process a complete mind-body emotional shift to be able to speak about this and to be able to grow and to take the blessing of it and the gratitude and, and then see what comes out of it. You know, looking, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I, I could have easily, one, died, two, been severely handicapped, suffocating, brain damage. I didn't. I walked out. That's a miracle in itself. I, you know, to wake up every day and know that you, in, in one way, shouldn't be here. You know, I was given a second chance completely. I am, you know, in gratitude of that and given us 
second opportunity at life because I shouldn't have had one or I should have been, I should have been severely handicapped. And there was a young woman a few months after I had my anaphylactic, she went into anaphylactic and I lost touch with the family. But up until a few years ago, she was still in a vegetative state and she was like a year older than me. Wow. And I've always kind of realized, you know, I walked out and she, she never, she, she never did anything else ever again. Mm. So I'm very fortunate and it's a very grounding. It's a very grounding experience and it's really shaped who I am with, with the concept of gratitude and how, you know, how finite life is and how quickly it can change within a second, an absolute second. You know, it took a second for it took less than a second for me to eat that peanut. It takes less than a second for people's lives to change drastically or everything to be turned upside down. And you you understand how precious life is and, and really how amazing it is. I remember walking and just seeing these flowers and being so overjoyed with tears, being able to smell a rose. Like I would have never even acknowledged that rose prior, but I remember after the near-death experience sometime that summer having this this moment with a rose and flowers Mm -hmm. and taking that time to really be present and and work through and integrate a near-death experience and and it's been an absolute blessing it's been a lot of challenging it's been extremely challenging you know a a lot of NDEers speak about how amazing and wonderful i mean it's still been very difficult. It's, it's been, you know, lonely at times dealing with it. It's been confusing. It's been frightening having a food allergy. Anytime I ever eat, I know what could happen. Even though I have EpiPens, I have Benadryl, I have all this stuff now to save myself and I know what to do. And I'm more cautious than ever. There's still that fear that, that death is always lurking. And how close you came. And then you realize later on, like, oh, my God, you know, ignorance is bliss when this initially happened. And it's been a really difficult journey. You know, again, I I did not speak about this up until like six months ago, seven months ago. It never came out. It it was not discussed. I could not speak about it. I was asked to many times and by groups, by friends. And the answer was no. And it was that. I was very strict. It was a strict, it was, it was, it was a direct no. It wasn't a nice, I'm not going to talk about it. It was a no. (laughs) So uh, it was really tough. It it was, it was a really difficult, difficult time. And there's still challenges I face and I work through and I, I deal with it. And you know, the, the, the physical aspect of it, then the emotional and the spiritual. And then, you know, you're, you're in your twenties growing up and trying to, you know, create your career and, relationships are very, very difficult having a near-death experience. I mean, how do you bring that up to someone? How do they understand when they say, oh, you're a little bit different, you look at things differently? Uh, You know, it's very hard to relate to many people, especially if they're not open. They don't understand it. And I've had experiences across the board where some people are very open, understand other people don't want to hear about it. Or they hear about it and then they don't know. So there's always that, you know, I don't, you know, I you know, I know my audience and what I can and can't say. And I keep it, you know, I'm not looking to, I'm just sharing my story. I'm not looking to say I have any answers to the universe or mm-hmm. I have all these grand messages. I just, you know, live the best I can and, and am still very much in this integration and process and um, dealing with it. And there are times where I, 
I remember a few years ago at like a seven year mark, it's like the other shoe dropped and I'm like, what's going on? Like everything in my head's exploding again. And um, it's, it's, it's a process. It is, I'm still in it now. And um, I don't, I'm not upset about it. I'm not, you know, you know, angry. I'm fortunate to be here. And I look at it as a great blessing and, you know, I, I don't get a tremendous amount of enjoyment speaking about it because it is very difficult. It's difficult to sit here and speak and, and talk to you about this. And I I thought to myself, I did it once or twice, and I mean white knuckling it. I'm still kind of white knuckling to going through a lot of this. And it helped. I felt it really kind of pushed the energy along for me. And I thought, you know what? I'm here. There are so many people that did not get the break I got, that they didn't wake up, they didn't come back, or they did, they're not coming back the same person. And this is going to be my give back. If I do this in service, and that's that's why I do this. If, if I always say if one person can benefit from this, if one person can find peace, acceptance, whatever that may be, if I can help in any way, it's worth it. And that's why I I put myself out here. I speak about it. I go into it. I talk about these extremely personal, deep, intimate, painful, violent uh, moments that I'm still actively working through. It's, you know, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, and if that can help someone, then it's worth it. I, I look at this as doing it in service and I've met some fantastic people and I, I've been helped because I've heard other NDEers speak and it's, it's really helped me. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that is so important. It's, it's just those little moments. Someone, some, someone may say something or a connection or an understanding and it's really beautiful. And that, that's why I do this. It's, 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 it's in service and it's really tough, but I do feel it helps me. And if I can help others, absolutely. That that's why I'm here. It's a pretty common answer when I ask NDE experiencers, do they fear death? And most of them, I think maybe even all of them, but most of them will say no. Do you anymore? You know, I prior to the near death experience, I I never one. I never thought about it. I never. I just don't. I, I don't have any fear of death. Mm-hmm. I uh, I I don't. I don't look at, at death as final. I right. think that's probably the main reason why. And, and people I've spoken to look at death as final, or oh my god, what it is. Having had the experience I've had. And, um, you know, being open to consciousness and whether it be, you know, with, with mediumship abilities or intuition, I, I just look at it as it's a different state of being. You know, you have, you have reincarnation, you have all these different avenues that have been discussed for hundreds of years. And um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't look at death as final. And I, I feel that is where many people get hung up on is that, oh my God, it's final, where I, I don't see that. And I see it's open or there's something beyond that. We don't know what it is. We don't really have an ability. But uh, to go back to that question, 
I try and live in the moment and I try and be present and I try and be here because we're here for such a short amount of time. Right. And it's so precious and it can be gone in a second. So the other answer is I don't have time to think about death. I have things I have to do now. Right. <laughs> That's really what it is. Yeah. I don't have that luxury. Right. You know, it's interesting because from what I understand and the way I'm interpreting you, you have had that amazing experience and now you have knowing this that there is no finality and consciousness continues. But then on the human level, you've had this almost traumatic accident that happened to you. So um, you still kind of deal with maybe like, oh no, I better be more cautious of what I eat because what if this happens again? Am I correct in saying that? Absolutely. There is a balance that I feel many experiencers have and certainly for myself daily is you know, you know, my background's real estate. I'm in business. I love business. And then there's also a part of me that just says, I don't want to do any of this. I don't care. I can go be a hippie and live in a van at the beach. Mm-hmm. You still have to live in this world. And that's where a lot of the challenge comes in mm-hmm. to be, you still have to be grounded. You mm-hmm. still have to work. You still have to, you know, I, I'm, I'm still figuring that out. Where's the balance? Yeah. You know, the idea of working, you know, I'm self-employed, but the idea of working, you know, in a giant company and, you know, nine to five, like, I don't want to do that. I kind of just want to hang out with my friends, have great experiences and travel the world. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to do. I've been to the point where I said, well, if you're on your deathbed, what would you want to say you want to do? That's what I want to do. I've been there. <laughs> I suffocated that. I know what matters. Sending the extra emails or, you know, working extra at night really doesn't matter. And, and, and it's tough because you have to function in this world. And I like nice things and I want to be able to do a lot and I want to be able to give back. And I always said, if I had a billion dollars, I'd give 950 of it away. Uh, so that, that is very challenging because it's like, where, where do you find the balance? And is there really balance or is it just finding a lifestyle that works for that, where you are able to sustain yourself financially and within your community, but also then give back and also then have time for the things you care about, whether it's travel, leisure. And I've boiled it down to, you know, my, my idea is to wake up and, and, and do it is to move. And I've had to kind of, you have to like remodel everything. And that's part of it. You know, again, you you, you start off, you know, in your early twenties, I moved to Los Angeles, to be in real estate, you know, then you wake up like a few months later and you're like, wait a second, none of that appeals to me. I don't care anymore. None of that matters. And everyone says, well, there's just that cliche saying of what do you do in your deathbed? I've been there and I have a very clear understanding of what matters and that's experiences, people, and that's what I care about. Yeah. And um, it, it's, it's tough. We have a very, you know, we have a, a, a world that doesn't always value that. And um, it's tough to sometimes with all of the influences coming in of society and the world and all the kookiness to still be grateful, grounded and live the purposeful life that is authentic to yourself that other people may not agree with. It may not work for them. They may not understand. And that's fine. I, people have lives that I, I don't want. They don't want mine. And there's no judgment. Everyone is. I just it should live their authentic self. So really trying to figure that out. And that's been a lot of the integration as well is understanding what works for me, what doesn't, what I thought at one point did, 
because I had a blueprint. I had what I really wanted. Then all of a sudden it flips overnight. I go, wait a second. I, I, now I care about what? I didn't, I didn't know. I just woke up with a different set of values and understanding and what really mattered. And it's been, it's been really beautiful. It, it's been great. You know, I, I feel many people or you always read these articles that at the end of the life, they realize what really matters. And they have these regrets. And I can say up until this point, I, I haven't regretted anything. I've always went for it. Doesn't mean it always worked out. A lot of the times it doesn't, whether it be business or people or experiences. I, I, at least I went for it and I'm okay with that. You know, the beauty is I sometimes joked to close friends around me. I say, well, when you've suffocated to death alone, what else is there really to be afraid of or concerned about? Yeah. Just doesn't register with me because I've gone so much further and beyond. I'm okay. I'll deal with it. I mean, I've I've dealt with, I've dealt with life or death, not in a cliche way, but I I have. Mm -hmm. And um, everything else doesn't really seem that significant. Uh, or detrimental if you're making a decision about life, business, or relationships, mm-hmm. having gone somewhere so extreme and, and such as a near-death experience. Right. And I think you just have an experience that fundamentally changes you. A lot of ears kind of say they pierce the veil, but you know that's kind of a, a common way that they say it. You just kind of tipped into the other side and popped back. Yeah, I... You know, I, I like that language. That's a, that's a, like, I, I, I creak, cracked open the door a little bit and looked yeah. in and came back. Right. Um, but I, absolutely. I, I, there was a complete rebuild mentally, emotionally, spiritually, ideas, beliefs I held, everything. Right. Everything. And it was, it was, it was tough. It was, it was, it was not a beautiful, amazing, wonderful story journey to put it all back together. Right. I, I want to stress that it was, it was difficult. It was lonely. It was difficult. It was challenging. It was trying to again, pull in the language. It was just to the point where I had no idea what was going on. And there was no rubric. There was no, Oh, you had an NDE. Oh, every 25 year old has that. That's normal. It wasn't like you go through puberty where every 13 year old's kind of going through the same thing. Like this was, this was very unique. Mm-hmm. And especially the, in the way it happened, mine was very violent, mm-hmm. very violent. Yeah. I and mean. um, it's something that, you know, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't like a one-off event. It was something that it was done through eating. We have to eat three times a day or more. We need that to live. Yeah. So, you know, that's also the component as well is now, you know, I walk around people, what, you know, what people have for snacks, they get, they used to give out maybe some airlines on, on, on for snacks on an airplane kills me. A peanut will kill me. I'm dead in 30 minutes now. Yeah. You know, so you have that constant reminder as well and that constant grounding and, Someone close to me had an allergy to tomatoes. Someone close to me. She still does. And growing up, she had a fear of tomatoes. So she would walk around a grocery store holding these tomatoes in her basket. Mm -hmm. And that really helped me. So there were times when I'm really off base. This, I haven't done this in a few years, but initially uh, I would, I would put peanuts in my grocery bag like a bag of it or something with peanuts in it or, or nuts or walnuts. I mean, it was perfectly sealed up and I'm not opening it. It was like a sealed, you know, 
and I would just keep it there. And I, I had to have a conversation and I said, listen, we're, you know, and that was a way to process and really understand because this is something that is all around me all the time and it's not going anywhere. And that's, that's it. That's, that's the deal. So there's, there's always that, how that reminder of how fragile life is. Have you considered that your grandparents are always close by since that you popped out and they were there pretty quickly. And you know, this appears to be an accident that wasn't supposed to happen. So they were, they were already there and just said, Hey, you know, you got to go back. You've got stuff to do. Absolutely. I I do. I, I feel my grandparents and, you know, I have a very strong intuition as well as mediumship ability and psychic ability that really, I, I probably always had it a little bit prior to the near death. And then once that happened, it really shot up. And then in the past years, I've worked with coaches to really develop it more. Uh, I, I absolutely think they're there. I can kind of tap into it. I, yeah, I, I think they're there. I think they're there for everybody. I think it's just the ability. If you're on and open, you can, you can uh, receive. They're there for everybody. And that's my feeling. Right. Yeah. It's just, again, it goes back. Are you open or do you receive? Do you believe in it? Some people don't. Some people, you know, they can't connect or, I, I, you know, I feel society's moving more towards a, a higher consciousness and more of an understanding that, wait, death is not final. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're realizing that more because medicine's bringing people back to life. Yeah. More than ever right. with med- medical advances. So I, I feel they're always there and I feel they're there with everybody. Everyone has their loved ones around them. You may not be able to see them. They may not be like it was when they were sitting, when they were alive and next to you, but their energy and their consciousness is still there. Whether you can see it, feel it, or believe it or not, it's there, mm-hmm. I feel. You said before earlier that you grew up in a family and you guys were into mediums or kind of paranormal stuff. And you just mentioned that you've kind of developed some abilities. So if you can kind of elaborate more, do you think you had any abilities before? And if so, what were they? And if they have improved now, how have they changed? Yes. Yeah, so, so I, 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 the language I would use pre NDE, we'd say, um, and not having a full understanding. I was very intuitive, very open, had a natural curiosity towards, the consciousness community. Then the NDE happened. Then it kind of just ripped the roof off the house with the ability to kind of get that connection to spirit world or that information or that frequency or that high consciousness. Then over time, it kind of came in more and more. And then the last several years, I've, I've focused on working on it, whether it be classes, one-on-one training with other psychics and mediums Mm -hmm. and I can, I don't do it professionally. Uh, My, my skill level over the, depending on if I'm on with sleep and diet and grounding and meditation professional level, but it's not something I want to do professionally. I look at it. I use it now really just for myself. And there are times like I'll read for my family or I can like, you know, I'd send like group emails and just write everything in and for stuff. Or my family will sometimes check with me on different things if I can pull it in or go from there. Or 
you know, every once in a while, I might just say, oh, this came through and so-and-so or this, and that's it. And it's not something I actively disclose at all. Hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't bring it up. I don't bring it up, you know, around. Um, and I use it for myself. I use it for, you know, business life decisions. What should I do? Where should I go? Every, every little thing. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's just something it's, it's a tool. It's part of, you know, I look at it as just another ability or in a, you know, I, I, again, the language, I don't want to, I don't want to use the word advantage, but it's a, it's a skill. It's a natural ability that then with, with practice and the right, you know, you're on and listen, there's times I'm totally wrong. There are times I am so right. I'm like, whoa. So it's, uh, it's interesting. It's fun. It's just become normal. It's not like it's this crazy thing I do or have the ability of because it's who I am. And I, I look at moments or decisions. I attempt to always look at it through an intuitive lens, whether that be just meditating, thinking it through, grounding it out, talking out to myself, or, you know, my eyes will go up and to the right. And that's how I know I'm really making an intuitive based decision. Cause I'm turning, I'm like going to my subconscious. I'm like, what's it going to, you know, and I can kind of play it out. And that's what I've developed over the last several years. Hmm. And I use that to just try and, you know, process, make decisions, the best decisions I can. And some are right, some are wrong. And mm-hmm. that's that. Since your grandfather's told you you have work to do, have you come into any conclusions what you think that work should be? I, I have not. I, I don't I don't get hung up on that question. I, I feel that it'll just kind of present itself. And um, what I can say is, you know, going back to what I, I, I spoke about earlier, the idea of service and speaking is that's some work I'm going to tie. And I thought, you know, I said, you know what, if I was blessed and fortunate enough to be able to come back and have the ability to speak and have this avenue, that's my give back. This, that, that's the main driver behind speaking and going into this and talking about consciousness, spirituality, near-death experiences, and that world is to... You know, it's very niche. It's very, very niche. And in my experience, having spoken, I've spoken with so many people that I couldn't speak to anyone else. No one understands. Can, you know, here's what happened or this happened. I lost a loved one. I lost a child. I'm lost. And there's just something that resonated. I don't know what within this story or other near death experience stories that brings comfort, peace, and some healing. And if I can, again, bring any of that, that's great. That's great. That that's my, my at this moment. That's my give pack and my service to humanity mm-hmm. and community. I don't believe you have a website. I think you just only have a Facebook. And are you willing, or do you interact with people if they want to talk to you, or are you more of a private person? Yeah, I, I I'm I'm one of the few people out there. I don't I don't have a lot of social media. Uh, mm-hmm. I just recently got Facebook. I'm I'm on there. I'm very easy to find anyone who reaches out to me. I, I always make it a point to reach out back. So anyone wants to reach out, mm-hmm. um, send me a message. I will get back to you as soon as I can. Oh, great. That's, that's what I, that's my promise. 
Do you have any projects or anything that you're working on that you would like us to know about? At the moment, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I just started this journey of being very public mm-hmm. about speaking. And, you know, it's, you know, again, for eight years, I'd never talked about it. So I'm, I'm, you know, we, we, like we said earlier before this, uh, I'm, I'm just starting to get into the swimming pool on this. Like I'm just up to my ankles right now. I, uh, I'm keeping all options open. I'm just having a great time speaking with you, Jeff, and other mm-hmm. hosts and other speaking events and their groups. And I, I speak, I've spoken several times at IANS at the national conference, mm-hmm. as well as several local chapters through California, Colorado. I did a very, I did a very, I did a video with Anthony Chen in uh, France that. Mm-hmm has been doing very well. I think we're up to like 140,000 views. I have another video with like 50,000. So to kind of go from not telling anyone about this to having over a couple hundred thousand views of my story, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind. I right, mean, the, cat, right. the cat's out of the bag. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm okay with that, but it's been great. I've met, I've, I've spoken to people all over the world that have reached out and support and it's just been really fantastic. And, um, I'm open to where this where this will eventually lead, but right now I'm just saying yes to opportunity and putting myself out there and doing the best I can. That's great. Are you still practice? Well, I don't know if you use the word practice, but are you still a realtor? Yes, I'm still in real estate. Uh, I also I'm also in the Medicare field as well, so I do both. All right, so at least I can plug you and say, guys, if you're in the Los Angeles area and you need a realtor, well, I'm in Florida. This is your guy. I'm in Florida. Oh, you're in Florida. Yeah, okay, well, if you're in over. Florida, yeah, this is your guy. You but can I can still help with LA. So anything anyone needs, just have them reach out to me. There you go. All right. Well, before we wrap it up, is there one final message that you want to leave us with? You know, I, I get asked that. And I, I would say two things always come to mind. If we just focus on gratitude and kindness, that that would would change the world that would change yourself your community and everything i i feel we get so wrapped up and we have to have these grand amazing plans that has to be so complicated and convoluted and it's not it 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 is so simple we all know what to do it's not an issue of knowing what to do but it's actually an issue of just doing it and i would say if we focus on kind again kindness and gratitude that would do wonders for ourselves community and, and everyone Yeah, that's great. I mean, I totally agree with that. Chris, I really appreciate you giving me some of your time. I appreciate how open you were, how vulnerable, how expressive you were, just sharing your life with us. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Mm -hmm. Jeff. Thank you. You have a great show and fortunate you reached out. I'm glad we could put this together. Yes. All right, Chris. Well, um, have a great evening. You too. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Take care.